One day, from the rising to the setting of the sun, from the moment we wake to the moment we fall asleep, a place in time with unlimited potential to make history. Where one conversation, one idea, one decision can change a perspective, a legacy. Someday will be your last day. What if you never saw the sun rise again? What would you do? What would you think? What if you lived every day as though it's your last day? You are at a crossroads. This is your moment. Today can be your one day. Our lives consist of a series of moments, many of them seemingly insignificant, mundane, forgettable. But when strung together, they tell tremendous stories of triumph and failure, of laughter and tears, of great blessing and great loss. But then our lives are also punctuated by days. Many of them we never even saw coming, but days that mark us and shape us and define us and change us. There was the day that I decided to read the Bible for myself and to make my faith my own. There was the day that I accepted a scholarship to Louisiana State University. There was the day that I said yes to Ryan Zimple. There was the day that I turned in my two-week notice on Capitol Hill to come on staff at National Community Church. These are days that shaped me and molded me and changed the course of my life. I mean, when we look through the pages of history, we see days that changed everything. Caesar crosses the Rubicon. Martin Luther nails 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. 56 men sign a Declaration of Independence. And Rosa Parks refuses to give up her seat on the bus. These moments altered history. Just one day. And then every now and then when we're reading scripture, we bump into a passage that begins with the phrase, one day. And then the great stories began. One day Moses was watching the flocks of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, when God appeared to him in a burning bush. One day um, Jonathan, Saul's son, said to his young armor bearer, let us go to the Philistine camp and perhaps God will move on our behalf. One day Jesus shows up in Galilee from Nazareth and John the Baptist baptizes him in the Jordan River. One day Jesus gave authority to his disciples to heal all sickness and to cast out demons. One day Peter is praying at three in the afternoon and has a vision from God. One day, one idea, one decision, one conversation, one moment that marks and changes and defines. 
that transforms a life and sometimes even alters the trajectory of history. One day. Now, it might be a good day. It might be a day that marks a good decision, a good uh, initiation of something new, uh, the breaking of a bad habit, the starting of a new habit, uh, the breaking off of a bad relationship, a decision to hang in there with a relationship. It might be a good day. Or sometimes that one day is actually the mark of a bad day. It's a mistake that we've made. Or it's a wound that's been inflicted on us. It's a betrayal, a tragedy. But somehow God in his miraculous grace and mercy steps in and redeems it and works all things according to his purposes and for our good. My friend Emily Hendrickson sometimes says that it could be that the worst day of your life becomes the first day of your testimony. Sometimes that one day is a day that didn't seem good to us, but God made it great for us. You know, sometimes it's a day that we didn't make any move at all, but God moved mightily on our behalf. Like the day that, that uh, God shows up and knocks Saul off of his donkey on the road to Damascus, or the day that God showed up and led Gideon to defeat the Midianites with only 300 people. Those days that God shows up and shows off despite our action or inaction. And maybe you're here this weekend and you don't, you, you don't consider yourself very spiritual or religious. You don't even know what you think about God, Jesus, this whole Bible thing. But I'm betting that you can point to days in your life that were pivotal, that marked you, that changed you, that transformed you and defined your life. And that's what we're going to do this, this series. We're going to talk about those one days, one days in Scripture and how they apply to us today, even though we're about 730,000 days removed from when they actually happened. Now, as we go into this series, I want to encourage you to do a few things. Maybe in your Bible, in a journal, um, maybe open up Evernote on your phone. I want to encourage you to make a couple of lists. Actually, three to be exact. Um, one, I want to encourage you to make a list of the one days in your life that have already happened. Three or four of those days that God stepped in, they've been defining moments in your life, they've changed you, they've marked you. And the reason this is important is because when we remember and reflect on those one days, it reminds us of God's faithfulness and builds faith within us. The second list I want to encourage you to make is the one days that you want to be a part of on behalf of someone else. For instance, maybe there's a coworker that just has a project that, that is coming up down the road and you want to be a part of making that happen. Maybe there's a family member that has a life goal that they want to fulfill and you can be a part of making that happen. Um, maybe it's a matter of somebody in your small group that has a prayer and you can step in and be at a part of the answer to that prayer. And the reason it's important for us to be mindful of being a part of someone else's one day is that it reminds us that we can always be a part of someone else's miracle. And then finally, I want you to make a list, and I call this, I dream of a day. What are, what are the days that you're dreaming of? The days that haven't happened yet, but you believe that they're going to happen one day. It might be a personal goal like being able to run that marathon or visit Antarctica. It might be about the day that you dream of when you get to see your grandkids get married. I dream of a day. What is the one day that you're dreaming of? 
Now, if you've got your Bibles with you this weekend, go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 5, and we'll get there in just a moment. But before I start reading that, I want to set up what we're going to be talking about and why. We're going to look today at a story of a man by the name of Simon. Uh, Now, Jesus nicknamed him Peter, so we know him better by that name, and I'll probably refer to him that way. Uh, But let me just kind of explain a little bit about who Peter was, why we should care, why his one day should make any difference in our life. So Peter was a fisherman who lived in the town of Capernaum in the first century. Now, obviously, his fishing business was doing pretty well because it wasn't just him and his own little boat with one line. He actually had a whole business. We're told in scripture that James and John were his partners. Uh, Peter was very tough. He was very opinionated. Um, He was a natural leader. And uh, sometimes his attitude got him into trouble. Uh, But it was because of his personality and his strong personality that Jesus nicknamed him Peter. Peter owned a house. He was married. Obviously, his house was large enough to contain his family, his mother-in-law, his brother Andrew, and even Jesus, because it appears from Scripture that Jesus lived with Peter from time to time when he was in Capernaum. So Peter's basically this kind of normal guy, ordinary guy with a normal job at that period of time, and uh, with a normal family, a little bit of an attitude, but otherwise just kind of a normal guy. Now, in Luke 4, we learn that several days before the account we're about to read, that Jesus came to his home to heal his mother-in-law. And that after that happened, it says that at sunset, all the people from the town that needed healing came to Peter's house. And Jesus spent the entire night healing people. In fact, so much so that it says that at daybreak, Jesus had to go find a solitary place to hang out for a little bit. So Peter saw Jesus working miracles right in his own home. And then this ordinary guy, several years later, you fast forward, and all of a sudden, Peter becomes the leader of the church. Peter becomes this guy who is so bold that his zeal takes him on missionary journeys and lands him in prison. And he's also the guy that took the gospel, the the message of Jesus, outside the walls of religious and cultural and social Judaism and out to the ends of the world. He has this vision from God that tells him to take the message of Jesus to Cornelius, a Roman officer. And all of a sudden, the, the message of God goes to the ends of the earth and outside this small little circle of, of Jewish culture. And so I would argue today that the reason that Peter's story matters to us is that it's at least partially due to Peter, if not significantly due to Peter, that any of us are here this weekend paying any attention to the, to the teachings of a Jewish man that lived 2,000 years ago. And so we pick up Peter's story in Luke 5 and in verse 1, and here's what I want to do this weekend. I'm just going to kind of read through the passage and talk through it uh, along the way at the same time, and we'll work through it together. So verse 1, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. The first thing that I see is that, you know, one day's often begin as normal days. I mean, we find Jesus, this new rabbi, this new teacher that's come into town. He's telling tales, spinning stories, entertaining crowds, and helping people understand who God is. This was just a normal day. I don't think anybody woke up that morning thinking that anything life-changing or history-altering was going to happen. And then it says, He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. 
Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Now it refers to Simon. This is the same guy that later Jesus will nickname Peter. So that's who we're talking about. And it's fascinating to me that Jesus just gets right into Peter's boat. You know, we tend to think that Jesus somehow like is out there somewhere, you know? But it's interesting to me that Jesus didn't just sit in the synagogue of Capernaum and wait for people to come to him. He got right up into Peter's business, right up into his everyday walking around ordinary life and got into his boat. And what's interesting to me about that is that Jesus is not just concerned about our religious life. He's not just concerned about this little piece of our life over here. And Jesus isn't somebody that's out there somewhere. He wants to get into our boats. He wants to get right into the mess of our ordinary, everyday lives. And so for some of us this weekend, it's a matter of just saying, Hey, Jesus, I'm going to let you just come on my boat. So I can see what you have to say. So I can see who you are about, what you're about. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. (laughs) Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Now this scene is hilarious. Jesus does not know the first thing about fishing. I mean, maybe, you know, he's fully God, he's fully man, maybe in his full divinity, he knows about fishing, but he, as far as the crowds are concerned, he is a carpenter. In that culture, that means he's a stonemason. He built houses for people. And it's kind of like he's saying, okay, Peter, thanks for letting me use your boat. Now you can go to work. Go on out there and catch some fish. And this is silly because Jesus doesn't know the first thing about fishing. And it's funny because, you know, he says to Peter, this guy's been out fishing all night. And uh, he says, hey, load up the nets, go out, cast them out. They've just finished washing the nets. They just got in from a whole night's worth of work. And they just got through cleaning everything up. And now Jesus is saying, hey, take that thousand pound of fishing net, load it back up and go out and catch some fish. And and not only that, but the advice he gives is ridiculous. Because any fisherman worth their salt knew that to catch fish on the Sea of Galilee, you fished in the middle of the night in the shallow waters. And Jesus is telling them to cast out into the deep in the middle of the day. These guys have been working all night. It is time for them to rest. And Jesus is telling them, get back out and go fish. And I'm honestly not sure what the bigger miracle of this story is. What's about to happen or the fact that Peter just said, okay. (laughs) I don't know really what caused Peter to to say, well, guys, we've worked all night. We've got everything washed up and and put up for the day. But Jesus says, go, so we're going to go. The advice was terrible. And yet they obeyed it. Now, the only reason that I can think of that Peter was willing to do what Jesus said is because, remember, a few days earlier, Jesus had been in his house healing people. He had seen his mother-in-law get healed. He had seen people from his town, people that he knew, maybe people that he was very good friends with, get their lives turned upside down by Jesus. He had seen that this man could do things that nobody else could do. 
And so maybe it was for that reason he said, you know what, let's give it a shot. There's something different about this guy. And one of the things that, that I've discovered is that I think Christianity, faith, following Jesus, whatever label we want to put on it, it is simultaneously the most logical thing in the world and the most illogical thing in the world. There are things about following Jesus that make so much sense. I can't imagine why people don't do it. And then there's other moments when I think about following Jesus, I'm like, this is crazy and makes no sense at all. Especially when he asks us to do crazy things like he asked Peter to do here. But one of the things that I've learned is that in order to move from an intellectual belief in something to practical faith in who Jesus is, sometimes we've got to step out and test his words just to see what happens. And that's what Peter does. And so Peter casts out into the deep, packs up his nets, goes back out. And the scripture says, And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. A few comments here. First of all, Jesus doesn't just meet Peter's expectations. He exceeds them significantly. Secondly, I think it's interesting that they had to call another boat over to help. The catch was so extreme that Peter couldn't handle the blessing of Jesus all for himself. He had to call other boats, his other boats, his partners over to help. And then like both ships are sinking. And one of the things that, that I, I think we've got to understand about this is that when Jesus really shows up in our lives, when we have a real encounter with Jesus, it's going to spill over into the lives of people around us. You know, a lot of times we say things like, you know, I believe in having a personal relationship with Christ. And then we'll try to kind of hide behind that so that we don't have to bother anybody else with our relationship with Jesus. But what this shows me is that a relationship with Jesus is always personal, but it is never private. A relationship with Jesus is always personal, but it's never private. If we've truly been encountered with the life-changing power of Jesus, it's going to spill over to the people that are around us. And then Peter falls on his knees, recognizing his own inadequacy. He comes face to face with Jesus and realizes that he is completely nothing. He comes to this place where he realizes it doesn't matter how good we are, how much we know, how talented we are. When we see ourselves in light of Jesus, we realize it's all nothing. And Jesus steps into our boats and he shakes up our world. He defies our logic. He challenges every deeply held conviction we have and changes our worldview. And then we keep reading and Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Peter's had an encounter with Jesus and he's got to do something about it. He's encountered one of these 
one day moments. And he's got a choice to make. Now, this is the part of the story that is the most mind-boggling to me because if I'm Peter, I'm offering Jesus a job, right? Like, Jesus, you are a part of my crew, man. You, you can come into my boat anytime. You tell us when to fish, where to fish. I'll give you a cut. I'll clean them for you. This is going to be a good partnership. But instead, Peter falls on his knees, Peter confesses who he really is. And then I love the way Jesus responds. He says, don't be afraid. One of the most powerful things that we hear from Jesus over and over in the New Testament, don't be afraid. And then gives this very cryptic future for them. You're going to fish for people. I have no idea if they knew anything about what that meant or not. But Jesus doesn't change Peter's identity. He takes his identity and just reframes it. And doesn't just leave him where he is, but tells him who he's going to become. And that's what Jesus does in our lives. But then they left it all. They just walked away from everything. Like they've just come into shore with the biggest catch of their entire life. Their, their boats are on the verge of sinking. And they just walk away to follow Jesus. It's like, they take the fish, they're yours. Take the boat, you can have them. We're following this man. And it just boggles my brain because I'm thinking, Peter, this is your moment to, to say, Jesus, keep being a part of what I'm doing. Because obviously being associated with Jesus has tremendous advantages. You've just caught the greatest number of fish you've ever caught in your life. Being associated with Jesus has clear benefits. And, and I would say that that's true in our lives as well. Being associated with Jesus comes with great blessing. I mean, Jesus has served me well. My faith has served me well. My faith served me very well when I was in middle school and wrestling with my identity and remembering that in Scripture, Jesus says that he's the one that will shape who I will become and holds the keys to my future, and that my identity is in Christ. My faith served me well in high school. I gave me a great group of friends at youth group and I got to travel and I got opportunities to do really fun things, things that kept me off the streets and out of trouble. My faith served me well. My faith served me well in college when I was away from all that was familiar and away from family and the church became a family away from home. My faith served me incredibly well as Ryan and I walked through seven years of infertility and Christ was my hope and my strength and my reward and my anchor. Our faith serves us well. I mean, the Bible is a book that is full of truth, of very practical truth, of principles for our lives. Principles that if we apply them, we find that, that, that God has all truth and that God can apply all truth. And if we follow these principles, we'll have very fruitful and faithful and wonderful marriages. That our finances will work out the way they should. Principles about parenting. Principles about how to do our jobs well. So our faith has advantages. And I make no apologies for that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the idea that being associated with Jesus makes our lives better. But there's another side to it. Because there is a danger that if we only see it that way, that Jesus is just here to give us good lives and make our lives better, that we begin to view him as a commodity. 
And, and we become a consumer of faith and a consumer of Jesus. We consume the promises that he gives us. We consume the principles to give us a good life. We consume the blessings. And we ask Jesus to come get into our boat when we're going out and we need him. But there will always come a moment when Jesus is going to ask us to do more than just associate with him. And he's going to ask us to follow him. And in those moments, it will not appear to be immediately beneficial for us. There's going to come a moment when Jesus will ask us to follow him somewhere and it will not feel good. It's going to cause us to sacrifice. There's going to come a moment where Jesus asks us to leave something behind that we can never come back to. Because when Jesus says, follow me, he's not just asking us to change our minds. He's asking us to change our direction. See, here's what we've got to understand this weekend. Salvation is free. It will cost us absolutely nothing. But following Jesus, being his disciple, will always cost us something. And sometimes following Jesus will cost us everything. This was Peter's one day. It was a matter of, I can't just be around Jesus anymore. I've got to follow him. It's not just about associating with Jesus. It's about identifying with Jesus. And maybe you're in a place this weekend where Christianity has served you well. But on this one day, Jesus is asking you to follow him in ways that doesn't seem to serve you well. And like Peter, that's a moment of decision. It's not about how well is Christianity serving you, but how are we serving Jesus? I want to just show you a story really fast of a, an NCC in there one day because I think a lot of times we expect these one days to come in a dramatic fashion and a dramatic moment. But a lot of times they just happen in our ordinary, everyday walking around lives. So take a moment and watch the story of Ted. I got baptized on July 22nd, 2012 at NCC's Baptism by the Bay. That was my one day. How did you find out about NCC? Uh, it was, you know, from uh, a close friend. I, actually, yeah, actually, I, I met a girl, <laughs> and we had gone on a couple dates, and I'm trying to count these. It might have been, we probably only been dating less than a month, and she said, oh, yeah, I come to, I go to this church, and it's in this theater, there's a rock band, it's kind of fun. <laughs> Do you want to come with me? I thought, no, sure. You know, I'll give it a try. And I, I think at the time I'd been thinking off and on, trying to find a church. And this was like, well, you know, well, great. I was just waiting for somebody to ask me. In some ways, it, it's been a very personal journey. It's, it's something that's been going on inside my own heart and inside my head. And, but I think that baptism is a way to publicly proclaim it to the world. And, and I hope that you know, it, it'll be a, a step where it'll also help me publicly proclaim it other places with, with people that I meet with, with my friends and just be more comfortable being open about it in, in a way that maybe I haven't been before. I value relationships 
relationships with people a little more and well in, in a relationship with God more and then realize that yeah my happiness in my life shouldn't I mean it shouldn't come from just what happens at work or you know, little trivial things that, that it comes from from something deeper and then just from li living life the right way treating people the right way knowing that God is there watching over us it helps think better about you know what is the right thing to do what what would God want me to do here I think when I was thinking about getting baptized yeah I mean there wasn't like yeah, a list of reasons there wasn't like a checklist that I went down where I said well now I believe this, and now I believe this, and so this is the right time to, to get baptized. It was really something that I felt like it came from within, or maybe it you know, came from above, that I just felt like you know, this was the, something that I, that I had to do. It was a step that I had to take afterwards you know maybe not immediately afterwards but in the weeks and months and years afterwards I really saw that you know there was a major change and that's actually kind of easy in front of the church community but and after I got baptized I also you know, sent out an email <laughs> to my family and friends and whenever I go back home and yeah after my family my, my mom asked me to pray before the meal and I feel like yeah, me get, getting baptized has made her more open in, in her faith. As I look back after getting getting married to Alice and now having a baby, Jesus tells us to do is to forgive and to love unconditionally. It's hard to do that. It's a little bit against human nature, I think, to give selflessly. One of the, I think, greatest things about you know, having a faith in God is it's an anchor that's you know, outside of our relationship and also, you know, enveloping and covering our relationship. And to know yeah, even in those moments that God is watching over us, that God loves us. In Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, Caesarea Philippi, where they're at at this moment, is in the northernmost region of Israel, and it was known as a very pagan place. Uh, there was a grotto there where people would come to worship the Greek god Pan. 
And it was in this kind of hostile and unexpected religious environment that Jesus asked his disciples to declare his identity. Who do people say that I am? They say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. You're, you're the one who defies the religious establishment and preaches the coming of a new kingdom. Others say that you're Elijah, you're the man that works miracles and wonders. And some say that you're Jeremiah, that you're like the prophet who wept as Jesus wept over Jerusalem, uh, wept over God's people as they were about to be occupied by an invading army. All good answers. That was the public consensus. He was a teacher, he was a miracle worker, he was a man of compassion. Just like today, we have public consensus about Jesus. He's a good man. He's a teacher. He's an important historical figure. But then Jesus turns the question around and makes it very personal for his disciples. But who do you say that I am? And in this moment, the disciples couldn't hide behind the poles of popular opinion. This became very personal. They had to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He got it right. Who do you say that Jesus is? The Magi referred to him as the king of the Jews. Simeon said that he was the light of revelation and the glory of Israel. John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God. The Roman centurion called him Lord. Martha called him the teacher the Samaritan woman called him a prophet. Blind Bartimaeus called him the son of David. The ten lepers called him master. And Nicodemus called him rabbi. All good answers, all valid answers. Who do you say that he is? There are a lot of good answers we can give, but there's only one that really matters. He is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. He is the master. He is the savior and Lord of our lives. Who do you say that he is? All of us will come to a day, and I believe that for many of us, today is one day when we're being asked to declare who we believe Jesus is. And you say, we can't be satisfied or content by just saying he was a good man. He was a good teacher. Because Jesus doesn't really give us that option. I mean, this is the man that said he had the authority to forgive sins, that he had existed from before time and would exist through eternity. He said that he would be the one to judge everybody at the end of the world. Good people don't say stuff like that. <laughs> Unless it's true. C.S. Lewis says it a lot more eloquently than I'll ever be able to, so let me just read the way that he frames this. He said, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Who do you say that he is? As C.S. Lewis would frame it, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is indeed Lord. Who do you say that he is? I think a lot of times we talk about faith as a journey and as a process, and we want to facilitate that journey and that process here at NCC. But faith also comes down to days, moments of decision, moments of declaration, moments of a decision to follow Jesus, to leave behind the things that maybe we hold most dear in order to follow the man who means so much more 
and a declaration of who he is. Now, I believe that today is a one day for many of us. And maybe the one day for you is just saying, hey, I don't know a whole lot about this, but I want to invite Jesus to get in my boat today. I want to be able to hear what he has to say, to see what he's about, to see more clearly who he is. And that might be where you're at. Just, Jesus, I, I want you to come into my life so I can kind of see things a little bit better. For some of you, the one day is turning around and following him. Leaving something behind, and it's not going to feel beneficial. It's not going to feel advantageous. But to follow him further, to be his disciple, means he's calling you to something deeper. I believe for many of you, this is the day to decide that you're going to get baptized. Just as Ted talked about. That one day that is the marker in your spiritual journey. That you are a follower of Jesus. That you're not just going to be around Jesus anymore. You're going to follow him. You're not just going to be associated with Jesus. You're going to identify with him. And you might be here today and you say, you know what? I, just, I want to take that step of following Jesus. Baptism is then the next step that you would take. On, your, on the bulletin that you got when you came in this weekend, there's a little card at the bottom that you can use to sign up for baptism. You can just tear that off, take it to the Connection Center after service is over. Or you can email baptism at theaterchurch.com. Make that one day your one day to make your decision, to make your declaration. Who do you say that he is? What step do you need to take today? The one day that Jesus is asking you to make a decision and make a declaration. God, I, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you that, that just for the fact that being associated with you is incredibly advantageous. That you are full of promises and principles and blessings. That if we apply your words of truth to our lives, that life is just better. But God, I also know that there are moments when you ask us to make decisions that are hard and that don't feel good. And God, there may be people all across our seven locations today that are in that place. Would you give them the courage and the conviction to make the step that they need to make today? And God, for those that are here today and they need to declare you as Lord and Savior, not just a good man, not just a good teacher, not just a significant historical figure but Lord and Savior of their lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw them. I pray that you would give them the courage to make that statement. And God, I just pray that right now, across all of our locations, that you would just create a place where people can see you more clearly, can hear your voice, and make the decision and take the step that they need to take today. Let this be the day let this one day become the day that Jesus steps in and changes us. In Jesus' name, amen.